TGIF. Happy Friday, everybody. How's it going? It's going well. Welcome, VJ. Hi, yeah, what's up, VJ? Matt and Joe. Yeah, good to, good to have you here. Um, that's awesome. So uh, for people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure, thank you. So Vijay Yadav, I am currently at Merck uh, Manufacturing Division, uh, leading the data science team. My responsibility is uh, primarily uh, applying artificial intelligence, machine learning uh, from my team, basically, to produce more medicines. Um, you know, Merck is making some very uh, life-saving medicines that we cannot produce enough. So where can we apply technology to produce enough um, and find uh, a new ways of, you know, improving the yield? My um, background uh, by trade, by training is uh, computer science. Mm-hmm. I started my career in engineering space, uh, more software engineering and data engineering. Um, and did some very heavy lifting in data space. I'm talking, you know, 15 plus years ago. Um, and then after doing that, I did some um, uh, uh, compliance, you know, so how do we drive, how do we build uh, compliance related analytics uh, solution, uh, compliance that is based on data driven. Uh, also, I had a very interesting um, piece of work in research I did where I was very fascinated by why process fail. So can we understand a data behind a process and tell where, why it is failing? Because people can't tell you, just looking visually, just cannot tell what is happening. But can you go back, understand how it is flowing behind the scene and uh, understand that? That basically fascinated me to data a lot more. Um, And I, in the last 10 years, uh, I would say I I got into more AI ML space, applying, into different space, you know, commercial sales and marketing, um, enterprise manufacturing and supply chain. And uh, prior to Merck, uh, one of the key systems that I developed was um, automated uh, a controller, what we call a smart product, uh, whereby if you're reading the real-time data from the plant, uh, reading the real-time chemistry, you develop a model which can tell you what exactly happening in the model, uh, in the water, uh, throughout the plant, and you can literally apply what is happening based on the indication insights these controllers are giving. Um, that was a pretty cool uh, type of uh, in a solution, digital platform I did. Very mission critical type of solutions. Um, so that has been kind of my journey, and I'm I'm, I'm really excited to um, be here um, and I talk more on the business uh, data modeling side. That's really cool. Like your, your progression, I think, is. Um... It's the kind of stuff that I personally like to see uh, with data uh, careers, where data is applied to solving, um, you know, domain-specific uh, problems, right? Like, especially with, like manufacturing and and uh, operations. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, but it's like this is one of the areas where data really has a, a tight feedback loop, where you kind of know real quick if you're successful or not. Because if you aren't, you're not successful, <laughs> and then expensive things start happening. So that's really cool. And we like to talk a lot about the future of real-time data. And I think I think we're going to see more real-time data in general, but there are some applications that really stand out where it's like, yeah, real-time would have a huge impact in this space. And so it's really cool to hear that you guys are doing that right now. Absolutely. No, I, I think we have to cover quite amount of ground on real-time data. That's a totally beast in itself that we can, and maybe someday we can, we can talk on that, you know, uh, some of the experience I have had and 
some of the challenges that almost all companies are facing. Uh, but I think that is where the real value will come. That is a true transformation where if you are looking at the data real time, if you can decide what is happening in the process, you can take the action right there. Um, that's where we are kind of true north is. But I think majority of the companies are kind of far away from that. Interesting. Why is that? So I think, uh, first of all, the systems are not made up for that, right? So first of all, if you want to capture the data, for example, in this particular case, in certain cases, you want to almost near real time. I think the infrastructure is not built for that. Uh, one of the uh, use cases where I saw that when the data is being captured, you have to decide if you want to put the model on a machine, the machine has to decide within 120 milliseconds whether something is something is defective, something happened in the process. 120 milliseconds, you know, look at the lag time. Your infrastructure is not yet built for those kind of you know, situations, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then there's a lot of data, right? So how do we take that? How do we, uh, it's more like a, deploying on the edge solution, right? So developing an edge solution, I think we still have to mature in that space. There are definitely use cases, people are using it, but in very general use case, I think having edge solution, they still have a very technical challenges uh, in terms of the technology, in terms of the use cases themselves and what kind of model can we develop is the model is, is that good enough that you can decide that fast? Because if you're taking action real time, you better be close to 100% of your mm -hmm. model because then there's no accent for you to take corrective accent, right? So you, the maturity of that element has to be there as well. So those are some of the areas that I think we're still evolving. And someday I'm, I'm pretty sure the infrastructure uh, piece and the model we're developing. And, and again, at the whole in, data infrastructure, that's what we're going to talk about today. We are not there yet, Joe. I mean, there's, there's so much a disjointed different places, different systems, it just not made up yet for those kind of use cases. Yeah, yeah, this is one thing that Joe and I have been talking a lot about lately, actually. So e even now for typical real-time application, you have to stitch together a lot of different infrastructure pieces. Um, I think even in 2022, we've seen a lot of changes. Um, We've seen like Snowflake announce, make, announce some big news, but a lot of those changes aren't yet general availability. And so when they go into general release, we'll see what kind of impact that has. I mean, I, I expect massive changes even in the next five years. I agree. No, 100%. I agree. I think that next five years, I would say there's, there's going to be a change in, in terms of having the real-time data that we want to capture. George Furikan actually has a good question here. And it's a question that always gets brought up when you talk about real time, but it's, uh, is it real time or very close to real time? And, and I think real time I is one of these things where it's like, what's up? I, real time. Yeah. Listen, I, I don't think we can, we can make real time. I would say close to real time. Now somebody can say, what is close to real time, right? Is it, is it seconds? It's a second, a minute, right. an hour, things of that nature. I mean, that depends on, on the use case. But I, I would say that 100% um, real time, you, you have to make rockets, right? So that's where your real time data is. Are you landing a jet? You know, that's a real time. Uh, and necessarily, we don't have to build that real time, right? There's some, some delay time in our, for example, manufacturing process. There are certain cases where, you know, a minute could be, you know, enough really to tell. And sometimes as the conditions is changing, you may not know the change within a second or two. It takes some time for your change to take an impact. So 
necessarily don't want every second data because that can tell you you got to be go to the duration where it can basically enough for you to decide what to do right so in in real scenario i mean having real near real time i think that's more practical way that's really interesting. Shatorch has a follow-up question. Um, and are we still limited by the restrictions of our data sources? He asked. Um, uh, some would have roadblocks for data output for real time. What, what are your yeah. thoughts on this? Yeah, indeed. I think this is yeah, still limited by the sources of data. So let's say we are in manufacturing plant, right? Um, so some data is being generated by you know what we call operational systems, OT systems. But those, those data is not enough for you to decide something. You have to still pull the secondary source of data coming from other sources, right, to do that. Now, if that source data is not available to real time and you're pulling them then, then your insights are not going to be what you're basically looking for. So, so even having a real-time data for uh, you know, operational systems, OT systems, it may not be enough. You have to still pull the secondary data from different source, and now you have to rely on that frequency of that one to bring a meaningful you know, decision that you want to make out of. It's really interesting. Business did I, data. Did I answer the question? I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, no, you, you did. Yeah, and yeah. I think it echoes a lot with what, what Matt and I also see, which is um, the restrictions of data sources. Uh, it's actually Matt and I were just talking uh, just a few minutes, like, just, an hour just few, like an hour ago. Yeah, with with somebody who works in the yeah. um, streaming space, and it was interesting because we're, we're just like, you know, what are the um, what needs to change? Right, it, it feels like. Um, a lot of the ways that we pull data right now or um, and the kind of legacy ways of doing it, right? It doesn't yep. take a streaming first approach or a streaming native approach. Typically it's, oh, let's pull data from like REST APIs, for example, right? Well, REST is more, that's useful for like apps and, um, you know, mobile um, apps and stuff or web apps, but like it's not really made for large amounts of data. Right? And for real time, right? And for real time. It if, wasn't, if you're pulling, no. then that's already a delay. Exactly. Yeah. So just, yeah, I think it, it requires kind of a, and we're talking about with, uh, with Jamak um, on, on our show a couple months ago, but, you know, one of the things that came up as well, especially with data mesh, we need to think about, um, you know, new, uh, new ways of, of, of handling data movement. Right. And I think it's, it's, uh, I'm excited to see what happens. So I don't know. Um, well, I would say some of the concepts are already there. It's just deploying them more widely. So for example, right now, if I want to get data from even a machine or a SaaS platform, typically I pull the API, right? There's this delay. And so we have to think in terms of machines and systems pushing data to places like webhooks or Kinesis queues or Kafka queues, Kafka topics. And then you're going to get a lot closer to real time, but we're not there yet. Nope. Um, but business data modeling, let's talk about that. So this is, uh, I think, a topic that's near dear to you, Vijay. Uh, what, what, when, we, when we say uh, the, the, the words business data modeling, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah, no, that's a um, that's a very topic that we want to talk about. So let yep. me let me uh, explain what is why is the important event. Let's understand the business driver behind it. So I'm going to talk from the business user point of view. I'm a I'm a I'm let's say I'm a production floor shop floor. I am working, you know, doing something in the manufacturing process. I see the data, I enter some data myself, and then I. Uh, I hit the submit button and OK button, and the data went somewhere, right? Through the process, I want really understand, you know, I want insights from my data. So literally, now I have no way to figure it out where the data went even. It went almost 1,000 miles away from me, right? What I mean by 1,000 miles away, it went somewhere in the cloud and data lake, right? 
Now you can think about data lake is more like a, a four wall room. It is basically closed from all sides. The only is open from the top. Now you have to literally go far away. I'm saying is meaning you have to go and talk to the people, technical people. Hey, I want access to data. That guy is trying to figure out where, where it is, which table it went to, what kind of filter, I think of that nature. You reach to that room, you don't have any window, you don't have a ladder. The only you can, thing you can do is you can crawl on the wall and try to jump inside and start swimming to see what mm -hmm. it is. What literally you want to have is, if I want to go to that room, I, I want a window. And what the window is, if I am manufacturing, give me a window for manufacturing and within manufacturing, give me a window which is relevant to me. I am not interested in the entire pool. Just give that to me. I will understand it. Just need to give access to me. Now, there won't be multiple you know, windows assigned that, right? So if we can provide that, what you're essentially doing here, you're bringing back that data close to the user. If I get a window where I know exactly where I need to go, which is relevant for me, you all of a sudden you bring close to the user. So that's a use case. What can we do to bring that data close to the user? Now let us understand in any any uh, you know set of business process how how does the data basically capture hmm. so about a business process so let's say in manufacturing you know you start from R and D you got some new product you want to manufacture you go to the manufacturing you procure some raw material you start doing some you know prepare some solution if you are making a pharma product you formulate the solution then you can fill into the vial then you can basically label it you start inspecting it, every ins unit must be inspected before you go to the market because so critical. It goes to you know warehouse, get distributed in this piece, then you get customer where it is, supply chain is involved. So how it is flowing from left to right, right? Something is connecting these processes, right? Horizontally. It could be if you're manufacturing, if you have space, then you, one thing is connecting your, your item number, a material number that you're basically manufacturing. That is what is connecting throughout the process. So there's a connection that you have, it, right? So if you look at that business process view, necessarily what is happening, Joe, the data is created behind the scene. As the process is moving left to right, it is exactly moving in the, in the sequence that you have. So that's your horizontal view. Now, what we have is the vertical view. Let's say I want to take the slice of let's say inspection process in, within manufacturing. If I take that slice, I want to divide into three layers. One layer is a top management, middle layer is middle management and, and bottom layer is your people in the shop floor. In that slice, each level people have the different interest. If I'm senior management, I'm very interested in the very high level, right? For me, what is happening in the shop floor may not be of, of interest. I'm in the middle, I'm interested more into how my team is doing. Is there any action that I need to take? And the person who is in the bottom is trying to, you know, right in the weeds, trying to do that. Now, if you have to design a system, if I'm a shop floor person in the bottom, somehow you need to design your data in a such a way that whatever the data product you're given to me, system should know who I am and gives me exactly what my bottom layer in that slice looks like. Right, and that is what the business modeling piece is. And we'll talk about how do we enable that, right? Conceptually, it makes sense, but how how we even, even do that, right? 
And that is the whole idea behind the using the term business data model. So you're not just linking the tables behind the scene because that will not make any sense for end users. What you are doing is you're taking the data. Now you are organizing, architecting in a such a way that you can slice horizontally, you can slice vertically. Now you pick that block that you want to get access to. Systems should know who that person is. You are giving insights without them selecting who I am, what information I need. And we can talk more and how to enable that, but hopefully that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, I guess, so, I guess you're, you're taking a vertical slice of, of um, you know, from that perspective, how do you, how do you uh, I guess, set the context um, for how are you going to use data? Sure, absolutely. No, so that's a, that's a good question, and that's the biggest challenge. So, so think about any, we, we're talking the vertical slice, Joe. So every organization is, has an organizational structure, right? So let's say we're talking about if a company, like Merck, any other company, you have multiple sites, right? Then within sites, you have multiple products you are manufacturing, right? Then within that, you got even a sub-function, right? Within manufacturing, it could be multiple sub-functions, right? So what you need to define is you need to define the structure. And I will talk about how to define. Let's define this is how this company is basically organized. Once we define that, and now you're going to, we're talking about enriching the data. Now you're creating the metadata, which you will take that structure and attach to every piece of information that's out there already. So you're taking the data that is behind the scene and you take this structure and just put them together. Now you can able, able to do that. So let me give a specific example, right? So if, so your hierarchy of the data looks like company, the site, the product, then within you might have, you know, uh, uh, a building and machines, for example. And then at the very end, you're making the product. You define that more like configuration table. And there are tools that are available to do that. And for each of the product you're manufacturing, you just attach that structure. Now, all of a sudden, if you have to filter it out, you can take that slice, right? In the slice, you are also defining which process it is. So if it's an inspection, you are almost tagging that slice with the inspection, you know, more like an, a, you know, a sub-function. And then you have all other structure behind it. So we have to go and slice. Your metadata is there to slice it on the structure. And now you can filter out at the level. So let's say I'm a sharp load person in the bottom layer. System knows I have to go and define. So I can define, hey, I'm this person. Here's interest to me. Let me define that as well. So behind the scene, you define more like a configuration table, whereby I'm user A. This is important to me. Let's define that. Now you're marrying that definition with the, the slice definition you have with the metadata. Now you can go back and slice it, you know, the way you want. So the concept is basically you're taking your data, you're enriching the data the way your company structure is, and what are the different roles are. You attach everything, enrich your data. Now it's ready to be sliced. That's really interesting. How, how does this differ from um, like dimensional modeling or relational modeling and uh, other data modeling techniques? Or some, I, I would say some of the things that um, I think the concept may be similar. So one thing I, I would say is 
So anytime you're solving the problem, so even I'm solving the problem from the inspection, right? That's one piece of it. Any problem is never in isolation. The problem is somebody upstream is causing it or somebody is downstream getting impacted, right? So when you're modeling the data, one other element that you have to consider is you don't consider just the inspection. You have to literally go upstream process and see who are the people who are basically impacting this inspection piece. I'm just taking an example for this, right? So you have to really identify the persona in the entire value chain. I'm talking 200, 300 people in the chain. Group them together in each of those, you know, prior to inspection, there's a filling, there's a formulation, there is other uh, sub-process as well, right? So, so the idea behind that is that you got to be looking the holistic view of the data, not for the problem you're solving that space. You're literally solving a problem in the entire chain. If you understand all the use cases in the entire chain, you are modeling your data not for the inspection. You're modeling the data for the entire set of use cases in the entire value chain. So you are looking in the you are looking into the use cases, maybe 40, 50 use cases total. You are not giving solution to everybody, but you're designing your data model, looking at the entire chain up and downstream, have holistic view, what questions are important, and even, even prior upstream process. You can consider all three layers. We just talked about that. So as long as you take the holistic view, the entire chain, and you model your data, I think that is what is going to make the difference. Anything doing isolation is a problem. Still, you are delinking it. You're not able to understand if somebody is causing it, how do I even take an accent? What should I tell mm -hmm. them? That, hey, something's happening. So the idea behind that is you're taking the, the view in the entire value chain. But it also sounds like you're not just taking abstract data modeling principles. In other words, you're still focused on a set of use cases. It's not just, I'm going to go with this general purpose data modeling spec and make sure that my data mathematically conforms with it. You're prioritizing the things that report viewers and data consumers are going to care about. Absolutely. I think what I'm talking about is based on the use cases. But somebody can say the BJ, but how do I know even the use case in advance? Why you are, it's just not possible. And then if I design something on the use cases, then tomorrow somebody else comes in and make the request and my data is not enough. Well, that is the key. That's the key to success. So you are designing and taking a holistic view, talking with the people in, in the chain we're solving. And that's where the data product concept comes into play. So you're not designing a product just for one. You're looking at the entire value chain. You should be looking very holistic way understanding what the needs for vertically and what is the need in the horizontal in the blockchain. If you can answer 80% of the question in the entire value chain, I think you are, you are starting as a good point, right? So the point is you take the broader view, but you build your solution, what is needed for that, but your data is built for the broader view. It is purely based on the use case. I'm not talking any theoretical. If I cannot solve a problem, then all my data model is just theoretical. It just doesn't do anything, right? So it got to be based on a very strategic view where the company wants to go, what the value chain looks like. You go and understand all the stakeholders and group up. And it's very different importance for different things, right? Sales and marketing is not interested in manufacturing, right? They have their own. So you got to understand what is there they're looking for so that you can link left to right your value chain you know, properly.
kind of reminds me a bit. You remember Joe um, Chris Tab talking about the idea of high performance data, which a lot of people didn't yeah. like. But he's like, high performance data means it's not just your data systems, but it's your data model, it's your data quality, it's your data sources that create a useful product that's actually having an impact. And uh, it, it seems like this discussion is really about kind of applying that idea to data modeling specifically and saying, okay, how can we create a model that performs well for all of these data users and data stakeholders? Yeah, and another element that's very important, what I'm just describing, Joe here, Matt, is that um, scalability is a key. So let's say we're talking the large organization where they have you know hundreds of sites, right? If I'm developing a solution for one site, if I want to go to the next site, do I need to go back and understand what is the need for that person? Is I change my data product? Not really. If you start doing that, then what you're doing is you're, you're slowing down scalability. So mm -hmm. again, I think you have to consider your data model in such a way that you can scale it. It's more like a configure that. And I built a solution whereby I can bring on site within seven days. Those seven days doesn't mean that it's it's, it's, we are going to make a change to the application or uh, data product. It's mean that there's some groundwork, how we organize our data for that site. We talked about organizational structure. Now each site may have a different structure, right? How do we harmonize to a common structure within the network? Let's figure that out, bring the data back. You define the, who the users are, what their roles are, what their interest to them in the common structure within seven days, you're basically live with the new site, right? So scalability is another element that has to be considered when you're building the data model. Interesting. How, the question with, with modeling in general is how do you teach people how to see properly that are creating these models? Uh, it's, in my mind, when I, when I think of models, it's, it's you know, again, what you're saying, go back to the end, uh, you know, start with the end in mind and kind of work backwards from there, right? And and also value value stream map things. Right? So I might backgrounds and ops and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, uh, just draw a picture and understand how it flows. Um, but it seems like is it, when I talk to data professionals, it seems like modeling is still, uh, it still seems like hard work. Like and, and I don't know I don't know how to get this across, but it's just, it seems like there's a certain way of seeing the world. Yeah, well, I, I think you brought a very good point, Joe. I think this is where the mindset thing came in. So we data people, and I, I'm I'm with, you know culprit of doing that as well myself. <clears throat> I used to do a lot. I do less now. Um, that we are data people are kind of entangled tables, indexes, performance, SQL, you know. I have been in the room where I brought some technical people to just to start the discussion around what business problem you're solving. And I see people start putting a solution in their head, how many tables they're going to be building, yep. right? So I think key thing is that really you drop that technical hat right away if you're sitting in the room. Think on a business point of view. Why even, why is important to the business, right? Think about that perspective. And in, in my scenario, what I, I normally do is that I've gone to someone and I say, hey, here's a problem we need to solve. And I start you know, looking into more. I said, okay, tell me what the problem is. And the guy says, you know, this is taking too long for me. I, I don't know what to, what to, I'm frustrated. My next question is, okay, if you are taking too long, 
what I solve the problem, I make it shorter. What does, so what? So what exactly will that do? So it's not about you, I improve your time. You tell me more. You tell me why it is important I save you two hours of time. Like I say, you know what? I can deliver more product. This is a bottleneck. And then my department, this is our responsibility to get more things out of that. And I say, okay, so what do you think we'll get at the end? Just getting more, right? How is that even impact? Where is the dollar? What is this actual hard number, right? And the guy said, oh, I think that can get more product to the market to do that, right? So what you're having is you are, you got to take the technical man mindset and put the business mindset and ask the question to the people, mm-hmm. what exactly where it's going to go? If you understand the business context, Joe, I think it's much more easier to solve. If you don't bear the business, it's going to be hard always, right, um, to do that. So I think that's that's a basically, um, I would say the recipe to success is having the business context. And sometimes, you know, my experience tells me that we data people, and I have been in that boat as well, we, we think we know what business wants. And we go in our room and start, you know, creating the tables and indexes. No, we don't. Even the business tells you, and I have so many examples where I've gone to talk to the people and uh, here is a problem person explaining and asking, okay, so in your mind, what do you think the solution looks like? And the guy said, I don't know. So think about, if you can state the problem, you don't know what the solution looks like, there's a problem. How do you know you got a problem if you don't know what the good looks like? But the problem is he cannot articulate that, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a piece that you have to really talk to people, ask the different ways. I mean, asking the questions really, really well. When I understood the problem the first day after multiple iteration, the problem was totally different, what it was describing to me, mm. right? So the point I'm trying to make is that you have to really get understanding the business context and the outcome. What outcome are we driving for the company? Not for individual, not for department, but and how can basically add piece to that? If you can bring that mindset, frankly speaking, I think you might have an easier conversation to have rather than you talk to the users and, and then traditionally everybody says, okay, give me your requirement document. Let me tell you, requirement document don't work. Amen. <laughs> they just don't work. So my thought on that is, you build a solution not for the business, but with the business. Hmm. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. Building for the business, basically what you're doing is you think you understand what business wants. But when you're building with them, yeah, they're part of your journey, right? So that's another mindset that you have to basically change and, and bring. And I, I have numerous examples. I can talk about that, you know, how to about in going doing about it. And hopefully that gives... Uh, the context a little bit better you know it is a difficult thing but if you take the business context i think you might have an easier way to go about it oh for sure yeah I, and it feels like this is just something that again I, i'm just mystified by this is like it seems like common sense right i mean I, yeah. i've worked in business facing roles and so have you and it just this seems like that's exactly what you should do i mean your background is very much um, you know, focus on business outcomes. It always has been. I, that's when I've worked at data, it's always been in that role too. Um, you know, like back in the day, I think before data was popular, I think being, you know, 
you just use data to get things done, right? It wasn't like you're a data scientist and you do whatever you do with data science. Um, you know, it's that, but it's, it's interesting. I, I wish there, I wish in, um, you know, in university classes and, and just, um, in general ongoing training, I wish, uh, classes were taught and just how to ask good questions. Um, and, and, I mean, and as you said, with, with functional requirements too, that stuff, I'm glad you said that. Cause it feels like when you, when you try and um, talk about functional requirements, it, it seems like it's more of a way for people to sort of get out of talking to you. Oh, it's like, Oh, just fill out this document and then get back. Right. It feels like talking to a government agent or something. And it's like, we just need to fill out a bunch of stuff and come back to us when you're ready and we'll annoy you some more. So, yeah, no, I think that's exactly what is happening. Joe. Well, I'm not talking rocket science. One thing for sure. Right. <laughs> Far is, from it. That's right. So, it's a purely from business. It's the mindset, the thinking that you bring into the process that can make a huge difference, actually, um, you know, to, to make things. And to me, I think another element I have seen what work is the experience of the users. So think about it. I develop a data product. I talked about three layers, right? If I'm a middle layer, if I'm giving this person what exactly they need, and I can basically through a separate uh, metadata, I can define what good looks to that person. There's a structure you can define it. He will get exactly what he needs. He doesn't have to navigate, click the multiple buttons, go here, there, run this report, that report. No. It will go right in front of you. Think about that experience. That's when the adoption goes high. Traditionally, you take the requirements and you're not changing your system based on who the persona is and it doesn't become adoptable. And and, and one of the elements, you know, I have done a solution where when this person opens the screen, whatever the level they are, it tells you what action they need to take. Sometimes we create a dashboard. Well, dashboard, even the person knows what to do with the dashboard, right? And we call it inside. Well, that doesn't work that way. Why don't you tell me what is that outcome from dashboard? Let's talk about that. Give me an action that I need to take right from dashboard, give me a summary of that rather than me interpreting a different way to do it, right? That is where the adoption basically goes high. So experience, user experience, a customer experience is really part of the data product that you have to consider, right? And data model is really important for that. If you're not slicing your data, then you won't be able to give the insight what they're basically looking for. You won't be able to scale it up the way you want. And Joe, you're fond of talking about this idea that in some cases we can work with the business to even bypass a suggested action and just take the action, right? So for example, VJ, with the machines you work with, in many cases, it sounds like the models just feed right back into the machine and you're automating processes. It's not just someone looking at a dashboard and then pushing a button. There, There is no button push. It just happens. And even in business processes, not manufacturing processes, we can do things like this in many cases if we work together. Yeah, 100%. I think that, that's exactly right. Now, uh, what the closed loop solution may not be possible in every scenario. Sometimes you do want to augment human with, with the data. Your data has to be 100% trustworthy, right? So it's not about I develop a solution. If your data is bad and you're making wrong decisions and you don't involve humans, catastrophes is waiting to happen, right? So um, I think there's a lot more groundwork has to happen till you have the closed loop solution. Um, where the system is taking you know action on, on its own, um, we're not there yet, um, but I think that's where the the true north looks like. Oh yeah, totally agree. Totally. Actually, I have some questions here. Um, your uh, 
you're getting a lot of good questions actually we'll start with uh i guess i think that's how you pronounce your name um yes uh how do you socialize the data models that different teams want the same data but think in a different perspective or need yeah no uh, good question because i i would say that this is where i was i was thinking is that you need to be so i'm assumption i'm making assumption that you have built a, a model um you, you have built a model and after that people are coming to consume, right? So we just talked about the structure, um, how we define the structure of the organization. If you are putting in there, if somebody else is coming to you, they have to fall in one of the slices, right? So I'm assuming if you have designed your data for the multiple slices in your value chain, if somebody is coming to you, you know what their slice looks like. Are they manufacturing? Are they sales and marketing? within manufacturing, the sub-processes, if you had sliced your data with the sub-process within manufacturing itself, if as long as you have done that, giving the data back is much easier, right? So the point I'm trying to make is that you have to enrich your data in a such a way that whoever comes next after six months, they got to be one of those slices mm-hmm. that they are belongs to. And as long as you have done the groundwork in the beginning, you should be able to give that back to them. Cool. Um, Mark Keeling asks, um, do you think that building with the business as opposed to building for the business has been hindered by working remotely? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking. I, I don't think so. I think this is more like there might be some hindrance, but I think this is still overcome. I think we have worked on that. You don't have to necessarily don't have to be in the room. I, I think the technology available that you can basically, uh, um, you can still work with the business actually to do that. And I'm just thinking I'm top of my head. I think I'm working with some of the ideas on the same way. I would say not that much. Uh, I think it's still, you can work with the business. End of the day is, you know, how you are engaging them, right? Mm-hmm. That is the key, right? And I can tell you my experience it's not about going bunch of people and big a large room and hey there are 200 people well guarantee you you can't make a decision with the 10 people in the room 200 people just forget it no, nobody will show, show up for your next meeting right so there's a methodical way of how do you want to have the discussion with the different people right you got to be able to identify i've found a group of 10 people and bring the people in the room who are common to them. That's what their interest is. If you bring in a room people who have totally different interests, they'll be kind of fighting over each other. You won't be able to get to right? And that's what you want to understand is bring, you know, 10 people, 15 people with a common interest. Then you have a separate meeting with other group of interests. Yeah. Let them debate what good looks like. Most likely you're able to make a decision based on that rather than get everybody one room you won't get anywhere. It's a good call. Yeah, I, I think working remote too, it's, um, I mean, it's sort of normal nowadays, whether, yeah. we, you know, whether we like it or not. And I think it feels like it, it, it helped people work better in some ways because there's less distractions. But I think, as you say, it really depends on the organizational um, ways that you've communicated and have set up, you know. Um, you know, if, if you're very collaborative, then you'll be collaborative. If you're not, sure. then you won't be. It's pretty, pretty simple. So, yeah, it's a good question though. Um, 
Let me just get into another question here. Mike Nash asks, um, given that most businesses evolve continuously, how do you advocate agility within uh, business data modeling over time? So BDM, can you put what the BDM is? Business oh, data model. I, oh, I think we have a new yeah, acronym yeah. in the data space. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. So here's how do we evolve. I think what I'm more interested in, I want to give the best experience possible. So if I'm talking to a group of people and I say, hey, I can give you the experience like this. Would you like to have it? And I'm, again, it's an interactive process. I think if they can have the better experience that they are today, and I give an specific example, Joe, where I built a system and I thought I had it. I think users are going to love it. But what happened is one place where user has to bypass the system to get, get over some of the things the system could not cover it, data product didn't cover it. In the beginning, they were adopting it, but after a while, they just dropped it. And reason being, the guy said, you know what? One step I have to go and do in Excel. Mm. Man, if I'm doing an Excel and your system at the same time, I'm doing my old way anyway. So the point I'm trying to make is you want to give them an experience that they should not go anywhere else. You make them dependent on you, sell the value. As long as you're giving them a better experience than what they had before, they're willing to adopt it. So at the end of the day, I think you're creating something they're going to love it. If you can do that, you have it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's a very active process. Like you're almost going to their desks and saying, all right, what, what kind of work are you doing manually and how can we change that so it's automated? 100%. I mean, that, that's exactly that. My rule of thumb is any data product I develop, I am at least I'm talking 200 people hmm. in the value chain, minimum 200. I have gone up to 300 as well. Now somebody said, oh my God, what the heck is are you there for years talking to the people? No, I'm not in the years. Years, I'm talking months. But the idea behind is that you want to identify the persona in the value chain. You need to understand the whole business process itself, right? How do you identify who the group of people are in that vertical slice? You got to be able to identify the right people, ask the right questions, go through the multiple iteration. And I've gone whereby I'm creating the, the prototype with that. Is this what it looks like? Let's have a visual of that. I'm not using any data. I'm not using any logic. Is this looks like? The guy say, yeah, absolutely. This is what I'm basically looking for, right? So if you build those, and I I have gone to the users, Joe and Matt and, and rest of the audience, whereby I said, why don't you draw on a piece of paper right here in front of me? What do you want? I don't need a deck of slides. I'm just draw on your napkins. I am forcing you to draw, not me. Don't tell me and let me draw. Mm-hmm. Why don't you draw? And it's kind of conversation. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. I said, I'll give you time, two days. You draw it. When you are forcing them to draw it, literally you're forcing them to think. If, you are, if they're telling you and you're drawing it, yeah, the guy is busy. He got next thing to do on his you know, plate. He just told you to do. He's not even thinking it, right? So that's the way you want to engage them, right? In the process of prototyping and building what a good experience looks like. If I give you this, is this what accent you want to have? How about if I give the left-hand side, here are the five things you need to take an accent. Say, yeah, put me on the left-hand side. I'm interested, right-hand side. Show me something inside that I'm more interested to, right? 
have them decide that, and that's experience that you want to have in your data product. Definitely seems like a much better way to gather requirements too. Because again, the, the, if you turn to the functional uh, requirements gathering, right? It's just, oh. it, it seems like it's something by committee and, and you're forcing people to write things, which I think is good. Um, but at the same time, it's very much a one uh, kind of a lopsided exercise. But I, I do like this approach of just having somebody just draw Like, what do you, tell me what you mean by this. Yeah. That, that's super awesome. low fidelity. That's right. That's awesome. That's right. Do it. And, and so I, I can tell you that I have been at least highly successful in majority of the cases. Of course, some cases in the beginning I failed miserably, um, but requirement document, I failed every time. It was not adopted. And who do you blame, right? The guy said, well, I, if you ask business that, hey, you gave the requirement in English language, but the guy said, no, I, that's not what I meant. He said, it's a plain English. But no, I, I understand. But that's not the experience I'm looking for. What you gave me, that's not the experience. I, I, I meant this. Now your solution at the very end, you lost all your time. There's not much you to go back and fix it, right? And they just don't get opted, right? To do it. So plain English doesn't tell you what user wants. That's the point I'm trying to make it. That's cool. That's really interesting. Um, let's see, there's a couple more questions here. Let me see here. Santosh asks, um, what's the best way to store and present a, a business data model and make it a reference point for organizational usage? No, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I could do that. So, um, so one of the, you know, uh, tools that, you know, I have in my experience as a typical EBX tool. Um, EBX, I don't know what it stands for, but what it does, it basically allows you to enrich your data. So remember I mm -hmm. talked about how to define the structure of the organization, what a user wants, what his experience looks like. You can literally define, you can define more like a tabular format, but they give a hierarchical way of defining your metadata, right? So you can store that within that tool and behind the scene, all, all your metadata could be somewhere basically as so that is what is putting the layer on top of that. And that's what be basically accessible to you. Uh, so you have to find a different tools and the tools which is enriching your data. I think that should be able to give you the view what that model basically looks like. That's cool. So I guess, how did you come up with all this? I mean, it, 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 most people would probably just accept at face value, like, oh, I'll just... I'll just do kind of what everyone else does with, with modeling, right? I mean, what? Yeah, no, I, that's a very good point. <laughs> how, did, how did this come about? <laughs> I want to know the story. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a good point. I think this is where the mindset uh, piece come. And so here's my philosophy. If I develop a solution, right, and the business user doesn't adopt it, and the outcome that was planned in the beginning, um, it, we never, you know, realized it. So let's see what happened. I failed, my team failed, and the company failed. How? You know, if I develop a data product and here's what we plan, well, it's going to save this many dollars, it's going to get more product, right? At the end, we get there and we don't see a value. You tell me, how do I justify? What can I say? Oh, I, I did this, it didn't work. Who do I basically blame? team point of view, what the team can do basically at the end, if you're not able to deliver what business wants, 
then basically you don't have much to sow. I don't know how you can justify, you know, even, even you spend six months of time and not delivering the real outcome what business want. And of course, at the end, company did not get what it was looking for. So for me, what can we do to make sure that it's get adopted? It gets the value at the end. If it's not getting the value, sorry, bad luck. I mean, this is not, and that's a mindset of any data leader you want to have. The business hat, if you, you want to think hard what impact I'm going to make. And if you're not making the impact, stop doing tables, you know, data creating, it just doesn't help you and your team, right? So I think that's mindset, you know, forces me and I, it's very natural in me, frankly speaking, if I have to solve next problem, that's how naturally I look and go around doing it. Um, but I can see people can say, yeah, it sounds good, but I don't know how to do it. But it's, it's a doable, right? I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not talking here in you know rocket science and i'm happy to you know talk to anyone a little bit more you know deeper you know uh happy to share more details you know a little bit uh, technical side how to go about doing it i think that's uh that's the element of that the other element is really critical important joe and i think uh someone i think your last guest um uh from ross i think uh it was omar Yep. Uh, he talked about the change management. He was so on on, on right. In, in this role and for data leaders, data engineers, managing the change is the biggest, the, the secret sauce doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Who do you engage the right people? That's a change you want to manage. How do you sell the value to them? Why should they spend time with you? What senior leaders are looking for? Why they should they invest a dollar in you, right? Once the solution is developed, why should they adopt your solution? It is not one day you woke up and say, hey, solution is ready, let's go and do it. No, it doesn't work that way, right? So the change management is a really, really critical part. I cannot emphasize enough. And I think that comes to me as a sixth instinct. I exactly manage the change in a way that if I'm willing to engage the users to give them best experience possible, I am engaging the stakeholders Hey, it is coming down the pipe. Here's the roadblocks I want. If you're my sponsor, you're not here a sponsor for the title. You have a sponsor, you play a role. You remove a roadblock in the change process. You go and convince your peers. You have more influence than I have, right? You are champion for this. Minus through that, I mean, that makes a huge impact. I'm talking to the users, why they should be spending time because I'm giving the experience the possible. I'm making their life easy, right? So the change management is another element. You know, all the things we just talked about that, you have to almost encapsulate everything. How do you manage the change in a way that the solution is adopted, you get the value that you're basically looking for. Change management is also the hardest part. So it's uh, like, this is... yeah. I mean, I think anyone who could uh, not even master it, but just do it like sort of good um, mm -hmm. is, uh, I mean, you can kind of you can kind of write your ticket anywhere you want to go. I mean, this is, I think this is advice to the audience too. Um, you know, if you can learn change management um, and how to do this even like somewhat effectively, um, you're, you're a force of nature at that point. Uh, yeah, indeed. And here's how I manage the change. Let me, I, I give you a tip to the audience. So I am not, I do, not, I do not know anybody, everybody in the company, right? 
let's say senior leader I want to influence. My philosophy is let me find who can influence that person. In a, any given company, a big company, believe me, majority of the people are not willing to change. Only few, what we call a pathfinder, who are willing to come and change agent. As a leader, you got to be able to identify that person because now you're bringing with them. They have much more influence than you have. They can drive the change for you, right? I cannot drive every change. That's not possible. Even I'm fairly good, good level to do that. So the, the secret to that is that you need to know the network, the right people. If you bring the right people who are willing to change, if they see your value, what you're developing, five, six senior leaders at that point of time, now they're going to their you know, peers and talking in their own terms. And I've gone in certain situations where I've talked to someone and the guy didn't listen to me. I said, ooh, hmm. that's not good. What I did was, I, let me find out who the person hangs out with, who that influences. And that happen, happens to be my one of my mentees. And believe me, within a 48 hours, I had that guy call me back and tell me what I'm basically looking for, right? So when you influence the change, you are not the only force you try to do that. You just cannot do alone. Mm -hmm. I think you have to bring the people who understand your value and let them become your champion of your ideas and the solution you're putting together. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point too, because in organizations, I mean, I mean, you bring up a good point. Uh, people want to look good in front of others and especially the ones that they're closest to. And so in, in this case, I'm pretty sure that your, your mentee um, and this other person, you might've had uh, trouble getting um, across to the first time. It's like they, you know, at, at some level, they, they want to be seen as doing the right thing yeah. with other people. Right. That's just human nature. So it's funny in these discussions too, right. That we've been having, uh, it's just, I mean, we haven't really talked about technology. I think we kind of nerded it out at the beginning of the conversation on real time, but like, yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about, oh, yeah, to do this, you have to use like, um, you know, tool X, Y, and Z. Uh, otherwise, uh, change management simply won't work. I mean, this is, um, it's interesting. A lot of this is, it's, it's very low fidelity and, and, you know, in some cases, very high touch. So not, not the tool high touch, but like. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say it's more business. So here's my take on, on this is that that's what I was saying, that you take your technical hat out. Yeah. Put the business hat. I think a very high chance of success. Developing a technical solution, yeah, you have to develop. That's what you're for. But if you drive from that point of view, I think you have a fairly good, good chance to succeed. The tools are so good now, and they often get used very, very poorly. And for example, yeah. the ongoing debate about the modern data stack, what they're really talking about is just bad use of tools. The tools themselves are not to blame necessarily. Yeah, and in the whole business data model talked about that. I think that's all business context. You you got the tools out there that you can basically make it happen. The tools, as you said, tools are there. How good you are using the tool, what is your your idea? That is what is going to drive you, right? Um, and that's what we talked about the whole business, you know, data model element is that you got to put your thought how business functions, right? So the idea behind it is that. If a company is running, your process is running left to right, you've got vertical slice. If you can model your data in that sequence, in that order, you have a really good chance to succeed. Do you have any books or resources that you'd recommend to uh, 
aspiring uh, change uh, management leaders? Oh my God, I I have to go back and I have not read a book, Joe. So my experience is basically, you know, I would say okay. I would call, um, you know, you know, trial and error method. Mm. But I think what what I have basically seen is having the business context around it. And for example, in my current role, I'm part of the business, right? Yep. Um, in a data science, right? So I think it is always from that. I have to go back and check. I'm not sure. Ready. But I think what I've seen is something that has worked and I, I, I got better at, you know, next use case, um, doing more and more um, to do that. And again, I think you're able to successful one time, second time, do third time. I think you, you got it. Mm-hmm. So I can I can think about if any any good book I come across. Sorry to answer the question. Um, yeah, no worries. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's got to be something out there. But, uh, but I will I will frankly speaking, I'm not. I don't want to give people 200 page change management book. You know, they'll read 10 pages and say, you know what, guy, you gave me a suggestion, man. I don't have time to read 200 you know page book. Well, I think you kind of answered your question too. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just go out and talk to people. I mean, it's pretty simple. That's that's the point. <laughs> there, there's your book. That's um, right. Here's your book. It's, it's talk to the people as many as you want, but you want to make a logical way. You want to bring the people who want their interests are common and same. So you can get to the point you want to get across, right? And at some point you want to bring everybody together, right? To do that. But at that time, people in the 10 rooms, they have agreed with you. This is what basically want. And you don't get a resistance after that, right? So it's it's all, you know, more like a business sense rather than, you know, reading some book, you know, what yeah. I'm trying to Interesting. Yeah, the only reason I ask is I know people will ask, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, what are the secrets? Um, yeah, it's, it's, but in a lot of cases, the simplest things aren't, it's not a secret. It's just, but it's also make, it's also the things that make people really uncomfortable, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, I'm telling you. Though, anytime you ask someone, a technical person, uh, oh, you do the change management, the, the freaking out. <laughs> I, you know, oh man, this is not my, and sometimes people say, you know what? change management it's not my job well the problem with that thinking is whatever the work you're doing unfortunately will not be adopted yeah well it's your job is you think it's not your job but your success depends on it so you better do it you know uh you don't have a choice right so that's the kind of look you want to have at that that's awesome cool we're getting under time um for people who want to learn more about you or what, what you're up to, how would they do that? So I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, I am uh, basically, you know, uh, active. And one of the things that I, three areas that I basically very passionate about that, Joe. Um, so I, I call myself more like a player coach, right? So player coach meaning, you know, if need be, I can play, but I'm mostly coach, right? Um, to do that. So, and that forces me to be remain technical. You know, I, I can design a data model, business data model myself now not to do that, right? So I'm always passionate about uh, that element. And so I'm, when I'm writing something, I'm, I'm doing both both situations. So you will see sometimes I'm, I'm kind of sharing my technical, where I think there's a value for technical people, but I'm sharing also what is relevant for business leader, data leaders as well, um, you know, and to do that. And the data culture, data community is another area. And that's a huge, not many companies are able to do, um, organizations are able to do that. 
all this we just talked about if the culture of the company is not willing to adopt people don't see the value in data no matter how you know cutting a solution you put there right so there's a whole culture element of that how do you change that so you see i'm very passionate about that and uh, right on on those element uh, maybe we can talk on on, on the delta da- uh, data culture element itself mm-hmm. but but those are some of the my passion that i basically normally write on linkedin is the best place for me to that's to cool good holders posted your uh, profile link in the comments here yeah these these are great things to talk about too i i feel like the um this discussion in a lot of cases again it just centers around tools tech but that's stuff to say i think Matt and I think we talk about this a lot. That's the easy part. So um, it's easy to spin up tools. It's it's what you're talking about is like infinitely more difficult. But I would say it has a much more asymmetric upside, right? Um, yeah. If you can get this right, you get a lot of other things right. So yeah, and, and Joe, I think for your next book, both of you. I mean, this is where you want to. That is what you're going to differentiate. If we can, and I know you're asking, okay, where's the change management book, um, or how do I go about building? That's what you want to be writing a book about. I think. That is what the need for the, the people. It's funny, actually, in the comments, people were people were saying, "Oh, this would be a great book," or, or you know, if you could read this. <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, we've and I've talked about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe someday." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> books are. Uh, turns out that I know. Works right. <laughs> What's that? No, books are not easy to write. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you, know, you have given uh, your sweat and and time and day and, and blood. And yeah, time. it was. Well, I mean, the book we wrote too. I mean, our, our publisher warned us early on, like this is probably the hardest book that you're going to write. And they're like, are you, "Are you sure you want to do this? Your first kind of book out of the gate?" And we're like, "Yeah, why not? Let's do that." We're uh, we're ambitious and slightly stupid, so um, <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed to work out. <laughs> so awesome. Um, well, it was great having you on the show, VJ. We have to have you back. Uh, love our conversations. I feel like we could talk for a long time and. Um, like the first time we talked, you know, we talked, uh, I think it was supposed to be a 30 minutes. I think it went way longer than that. So, uh, um, just in our, our phone call. So yeah, I'd love to have you back on, um, coming up, uh, Monday morning data chat. We have a Zach Henlin from, um, Zing. So Zing is a really cool, uh, um, uh, data visualization app. Um, so he's going to talk about, um, you know, just uh, his thoughts around, um, you know, just data apps and products and stuff. That'll be fun. Uh, the week after that, uh, Monday morning data chat, I'll actually be, um, live with Samir Sharma in London. So it'll actually be the afternoon there. Um, sure. but for Matt, it'll be morning. So, um, so is there anything else going on? Uh, oh, data, driven NYC, uh, next Tuesday, um, October 11th, uh, we're speaking at, uh, Matt and I will be live and in person at, um, uh, data driven NYC. That's Matt Turk's, uh, awesome meetup there. So, and you posted that on LinkedIn, and I think you you have to RSVP so you can get in through security. So yeah, follow the link in RSVP if you're interested. Yeah, don't just show up; you'll be yeah. you'll be turned away. So um, security is so tight to get to our events these days. I'm just, um, <laughs> that's why the security is tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not because it's in a corporate building or something. Um, so yeah, and actually, we're and uh, in London. Actually, the seventeenth, uh, we're doing a. Uh, a data meetup there. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, uh, Chris Tabs hosting this uh, along with Elite Data. Uh, really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, just be fun. Go have some beers. Um, 
rumor has it I, i'll actually be djing the uh event too so oh wow yeah okay yeah <laughs> gonna release an album or like a mixtape or something i actually have a couple of tracks i'm gonna play yeah I, I, nice. I make i make a lot of music if you can't tell so I, i'm actually gonna play a few of them so anyway um yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun so um awesome well bj thanks again um thanks so yeah thanks for being on the show and thanks to the audience have a great weekend